Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to hear from best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, as he has a conversation with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this episode, you will hear Carrie share insight into making choices today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Carrie touches on breaking a stress cycle and moving towards a thrive cycle so that you can be maximizing the 24 hours you are given each day. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Carrie, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, it's good to be with you, McKelty. Thank you. And we are even more excited to have you at Thrive today because, well, one, Thrive is just one of the best conferences. In my opinion, I might be biased, but um, just to get to hear from you twice in our leadership sessions. I'm excited to be here. Only the second male speaker in the history of Thrive. Is that right? true? Because I know Gap. Craig yeah. Rochelle. Craig Rochelle apparently was invited twice and apparently did really well. He did do really he well. He did really I well. Everyone's told me how good he did, and I'm <laughs> no like, pressure. oh, dang, Craig. Come on. Couldn't you have screwed it up? Oh, he, yeah. he is fantastic. Oh, he no, is. I, he is one of my favorite people. Not just favorite leaders, but favorite mm. people. Craig mm-hmm. is absolutely A+. Plus. Yeah. Well, mm. he, he is fantastic, but I know you're going to do phenomenal today. I'm curious, what is your favorite part of conferences? Because I'm sure you get the opportunity to speak at a variety yeah. of Yeah. You know, honestly, stuff like this. I love, I love between the sessions. I love meeting people. I love good conversations. Mm. And being up there speaking is, is great. I love it when you can see that the audience is tracking mm-hmm. and that this is making an impact and hopefully it's going to change. I always try to come with a, a message. I'm not really an inspirational speaker. Mm. I'm more of an informational speaker, but hopefully this is information that will be making a difference five years down the road, Mm -hmm. 10 years down the road. I try to give people a strategy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all go to talks and we laugh and we have a great time. And then we're like, what was that about? I don't know, but it was awesome. So I'm, I'm going to try to bring that. And I love it when it actually works, when Mm -hmm. people will email like a month or two months or a year later and go, Hey, about the energy management stuff or Mm -hmm. how to juggle conflicting priorities that it was really helpful. But I really love these behind the scenes conversations and green rooms are fun. Yes. Mm. (laughs) You just get to talk. You get to know people. Well, that's where my podcast came from. I do a leadership Mm -hmm. podcast Mm -hmm. and I've been speaking for years and you know, I, I was just having all these great conversations in green rooms and I would finish them and, and heading to the car or the airport, I'd be like, man, I wish everybody could have heard that or my staff mm-hmm. could have heard that or mm-hmm. our elders could have heard that. And then I thought, well, why don't I just bring those conversations to people yeah. on a podcast? So that yeah. was sort of the vision behind the leadership podcast that's, mm-hmm. well, eight years old now. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's like a, not a toddler. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are also an author and yeah. a speaker. You know, what is a little bit of who you are? Yeah, that's a great question. So a little bit of everything. I, I trained originally as a lawyer and uh, studied that, um, got called to the bar, and then felt a call into seminary, went into mm-hmm. seminary. So for 20 years, I pastored a local church. And we it, it wasn't a church plant until about... 10 years in, we started over again as a plant, but came to three dying mainline churches with just a handful of people left, saw God turn them around, we amalgamated, and then that eventually went on to become Conexus Church when mm. we replanted in a non-denominational context. And then about mm-hmm. seven years ago, in 2015, had a big shift where I was feeling my time as a lead pastor is probably coming to an end. I was turning 50, and I, I thought, okay, what, what do I do with the future of my life, really felt the church had to go into 
um, other hands, younger hands. So Jeff Brody became the lead pastor. I stayed on to teach for a few years at the church, but really started leaning into this hobby mm-hmm. of writing and podcasting. And uh, it's gone now. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I write books, I podcast, I speak to leaders. And really, we're a digital content company that tries to create experiences and give really helpful courses and premium information to leaders and strategies mm-hmm. to help them thrive. Yeah. That's what we hope to do. I love it. And I love that you talked about, too, just that practical piece to it. Because mm. I think you can put a lot of fluff on stuff, but really, what is the practical piece that gets you to be a good leader and a leader people want to follow? Well, my biggest shock was like I graduated from a good law school and I worked in law for about a year. I had, I had no idea how to run a law firm. Like top law school in the country, nobody's like, here's how you handle difficult partners. Here's how you collect for your clients. Like we had, I knew what the law was, but I had no idea how to run it. Then I went to a seminary and like, then I get called to a church and I have no idea how to run a church. How do you do an elders meeting? How do you, how do you uh, cast a vision? Like, you know, I could tell you what Isaiah was saying in (laughs) Isaiah 65, but that's not very helpful when you got elders who are mad at you or a church that's going nowhere. You got to figure all that out. So what I, what I try to do is I try to show people how to run things. Mm -hmm. You know, entrepreneurs, how to run their business, church leaders, how to run a church, because that's what I had to learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. Books, conferences, podcasts, seminars, conversations. It took me years. And it's like, well, if this can be a shortcut, let's give you the shortcut. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I love that. And, you know, one of the things that you have done in this new book, you've created something that's incredibly practical for people. And it is a topic that I love. So Mm -hmm. I, my career, it was in social work. So burnout. Yep. (laughs) Understand. Uh-huh. self-care 100%. So, and I really appreciated, you know, just kind of looking through to questions and through the book. I'm like, this is so much practical takeaway of how to conquer some of these things. Mm-hmm. And it's a topic that we all are experiencing, you know, overcommitment, just feeling mm-hmm. overwhelmed by everything and the stress. And so I would love to hear just like, what was your heart for writing this book and just the takeaway you wanted people to get from it? My heart was I burned out about 16 years ago. I had a really difficult summer where I experienced some pretty intense burnout and it had been coming a long time. Mm-hmm. The first decade of my leadership at, at the churches that would eventually become Conexus was just pedal to the metal, mm-hmm. crazy growth, um, double digit growth, 30% growth year after year after mm-hmm. year. And I just didn't know how to handle it. I was young, trying to raise kids to, you know, trying to keep a marriage afloat. Mm-hmm. And I hit a wall when I turned 40 and burned out. Mm-hmm. And so You know, that was a deeply painful time in my life, and I resolved never to go back there. Mm -hmm. Like, once you burned out, you don't wish it on your enemies, let alone your friends. I I didn't want to go back there. And I didn't know whether I was going to make it out. And so I spent three to five years studying how do I make sure this never happens again. Mm -hmm. Read time management books, went to counselors, coaches, and then I devised a personal system which was a different allocation of time, energy, and priorities than I had been leading. And it started to work. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me to write part-time, to podcast as a hobby. Mm -hmm. I actually got some hobbies in my life. I started (laughs) taking time off. And then a few years into that, when I really got the system going, to me, it was a personal thing. It's like, okay, I don't want to burn out again. I started sharing, people started asking me, how do you get it all done? Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, and I'd tell them, and then they try it, and it would work. Hmm. So um, I started teaching on it, and then I realized, oh, this doesn't just doesn't work for me or for my friends. This could work for everybody. So it became a course, and then I released the book. And uh, man, I love it. I hope it's my life's work. Mm-hmm. Like I love this stuff, and I haven't burned out in 16 years. I feel better than I did for the first 40 years of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not tired, and the funny thing is, I'm doing less and accomplishing more. Mm. I'm like last night I got nine hours sleep. Oh, what a now, <laughs> I know. Now I don't have young kids. I get it. You might have to subtract a few hours. <laughs> but you know what? I could, I could work until 2 a.m. if I wanted to and then get up at five and start it again. And I, I lived that life and it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. So now I get to serve more people than I ever have. We have a, a huge global audience and I have more of a life than I ever have. And I think those those principles, they've worked for single moms, for parents of newborns. They've worked for entrepreneurs. They've worked for entrepreneurs. They've worked mm-hmm. for CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just basically how you approach time, energy and priorities. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to even dive deeper in some of those practical pieces today. But let's jump to the beginning. How sure. did we get to be a culture where everybody experienced? Is this where we are in such a rush to get to the next thing? Yes, people, you know, we can't say no. How did we get to be this culture? It's interesting. Burnout was actually a term invented in the 1970s to describe what doctors were going through mm-hmm. during their internships. So, you know, a doctor finishes med school, but then you guys, we're here at the head of the Mayo Clinic, right? What do mm-hmm. you have to do? Mm-hmm. You have to do your internship, your apprenticeship, so to speak. Yeah. And we have numerous physician friends. It, they try to break you. It's like being a law student, they try to kill you. Mm. And so you're working 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day, long shifts. And this psychologist said doctors are burning out. They're just, they can't do it anymore. Yeah. So it was a medical thing, or if you were you know, an investment banker in New York City, you might have it in the 70s. But then what happened is, and I think we can blame the rise of technology to a certain extent. Technology yeah. is our friend and our foe. Mm-hmm. It's here to stay, so get used to it. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you know, like when I, when I, why did I become a lawyer? Because I want to, you know, you want to be a baseball player. I have no gifts, no skills. You want to be an astronaut, probably not going to happen. <laughs> I'd heard that lawyer was a good job. There was no internet. I don't know. I just wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> like, sure. So my parents thought it was a good choice. <laughs> now, why can't people make career decisions? They can't make career decisions because, well, you can be anything. <laughs> and here's a phone that will give you a gateway to anything you want. So I think we got drowned in knowledge drowned in information, drowned in inbound, you think about it. Like I I remember the internet, I remember going online for the first time in 1996, I got my first email address. Mm. It was carrie at (laughs) planeteer.com. Go ahead and email me, it doesn't go anywhere anymore. (laughs) But you know, it was like this weird little ISP Mm -hmm. that was local north of Toronto. And I get four to 10 emails a day. And Mm -hmm. 10 was like, ooh, that's a big day, I'm so important, (laughs) I got 10 emails. Well now, Mm -hmm. you get hundreds Mm -hmm. and you know, you think about how many inboxes. How many inboxes do you have? You ever thought about that, McKelty? I have a lot. I have way uh, more than necessary. So name a few. <laughs> well, I have like my G. I have like three Gmail accounts. Okay. Which is I don't know why. Well, I have five. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Well, then I have like my website inbox. Uh-huh. And then you know all the inboxes on social media uh-huh. that I run and for the you know yeah. BTG personal account. Yeah. In- and a lot. then even in your own life, I mean, you have Instagram. Maybe you're mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. You're on mm-hmm. Facebook. You're on Twitter. All of those have inboxes. I counted mine up a couple years ago. I have 13 inboxes that are unique to me. Those aren't my public ones. Those are my private Mm -hmm. ones. Well, 
when in human history, like cave people, you did not get access to cave people unless you knocked on the cave, yeah, yeah. right? And now, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, people have access to you mm-hmm. on multiple channels. Mm-hmm. So literally, you're playing whack-a-mole. Every time you look at your phone, there's something new you need to respond to. Yes. And everybody has access to you. Um, friends are texting you. Friends are DMing you going, hey, can you get together? And, you know, it's really hard for people to put up boundaries and say, tonight I just need a night for myself. Mm-hmm. Because maybe you're out in your backyard and they're like, well, you could have come out tonight. Yeah. Don't post that to social, right? Yeah. So there's yeah. all this pressure. And and then uh, I, 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 I'm familiar with the work of a, a British evolutionary psychologist named Robin Dunbar. And he pioneered this thing called Dunbar's Number. It's become widely known in, in psychological circles. And what he says, and, and I think as a Christian, this resonates with my own experience, but he's not a Christian. He goes, throughout human history, people have been able to manage about 150 relationships. Hmm. That's it. Okay. So think about the average church was 200 or less. Mm. The average village in medieval Europe was 200 people or less. I mean, forget Stuttgart or Amsterdam or London. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have very small villages, and most people lived in those small villages. And if you look at how um, the army was um, historically created, it was, it was pared down. Yeah, maybe you have 10,000 troops, but you have divisions and platoons and brigades. And then, you know, you might be down to 12 people. And he even quotes Jesus. Jesus, we know, had yeah. hundreds of disciples. And then he broke that down into groups of 70. Mm-hmm. And then he had 12. Mm-hmm. And in the 12, he had three. And in the three, he had one, Peter. Mm-hmm. And What does that say? It says humans have a natural relational bandwidth. Mm -hmm. He says you're wired. He says evolution. I could say creation. Mm -hmm. You're you're created for three to five intimate friendships. Those are people who know everything about you. Mm -hmm. You don't even, when you pick up the phone, even after a week, you, you just pick up where you left off. You don't have to explain anything. Three to five, that's it. Then he says you can have 10 to 12 friends. And by friends, he means people that maybe you don't talk to them every week, but you just kind of pick up where you left off and they're that next ring beyond that. And then you have another 130 or so people in your life that maybe you swap Christmas cards with if you do, or you see them at the annual summer barbecue or you vacation with them once a year. And you kind of have to play a bit of catch up. And he says beyond that, you cannot sustain relationships. Mm -hmm. So next question how many followers or friends do you have on social media? Oh, I don't even know. Well, uh, I think more I than 150. Like, yes, way more. Than way 150. more than 150. Uh huh. <laughs> Amber, who's sitting there taking pictures. How many do you have, Amber? Uh, thousands. A thousands? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're not wired. I have like 50,000, and I'm not even big on social media compared mm-hmm. to people who have hundreds or, you know, millions. Yeah, millions. Even, yeah. I. I don't have the capacity for that. Mm-hmm. You don't have the capacity for that. Yet all of those people have access to your life. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. So if you lead a women's ministry, all those women who are not really your friends. Arthur Brooks says there are real friends and deal friends. I love mm. that idea. Your real friends are the people who will be with you till the very end. Mm-hmm. They don't care. You don't write them a paycheck. They don't write you a paycheck. They're your real friends and they'll be there no matter what. Everybody else is a deal friend. They want to follow you because you do this podcast or because you do this or you do that. And I think being able to sort all of that out is so important. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, I talked to my wife and my son today. They're real. 
They're going to be part of my life forever. I have some real friends, just a handful, because you can't handle more than five. Yeah. You're not designed to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I have other friends. And so I think if you're able to separate the wheat from the chaff, that really helps. You're getting into solution, not problem. Mm-hmm. But why are you so overwhelmed? Hundreds, thousands of people have access to you 24-7. And guess what? They all want something from you. Mm-hmm. They want great content if they're like at a distance or, hey, can you help me with this? You know, here, here's the reality. Nobody will ever ask you to accomplish your top priorities. They will only ask you to accomplish theirs. Mm. So every text message you get, every DM you get, every at on social is like, hey, McKelty, can you? Hey, McKelty, you should have this person as a guest. Hey, McKelty, can you grab me some coffee? Hey, McKelty, can you? And like, what happened to your priorities? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But you start with a list in the morning, and sometimes you get to the evening, you cross nothing off that list, Mm -hmm. and your list got longer because now you have 15 things you have to do for other people. Mm -hmm. Like, guess what? No wonder we're burning out. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. That is so relatable. I know in my own life, I would get grief from my friends all the time because I would be so overwhelmed and I would have like six coffee dates, you know, within a week and things like this. And one of my friends finally said, McKelty... Everyone is your best friend. You have like <laughs> 17 best friends uh-huh. and you don't have the capacity for that. No, you don't. And it was exactly what you're saying is like, you don't have that mental space to be able to shut down. You can't maintain those many relationships. Nope. You talk about something in your book called the stress spiral. Will you mm-hmm. share a little bit more about that? It seems relatable to what we're talking about. It is. Yeah. <laughs> if you talk to most people who have some symptoms of burnout, there are three words that describe where most of us are at in this life. Overwhelmed, overworked and overcommitted. Mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed. I don't even know what to do. I don't know which end is up. I got brain fog every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, overworked, too much to do, too few hours, and overcommitted. I said yes too many times. Mm-hmm. I should have said yes to two coffees. I said yes to seven. Mm-hmm. And I should have said no to that event they wanted at work. I should have said no to that family reunion, but we did it anyway against my better judgment. So overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted. And then this is this is what I learned because that's how I lived for a decade, and Mm -hmm. it landed Mm -hmm. me flat on my back. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, okay, well, what assets? If you look at the primary assets human beings are given every day, three of them would be time, energy, and priorities. Mm -hmm. We all get 24 hours in a day, no more, no less. Our energy waxes and wanes over the course of the day. And then there's our priorities. What is really important to us? What should be important to Mm -hmm. us? And then there's all that stuff that's important to other people. And when you're in the stress spiral, you're overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted. And Mm -hmm. it's because of a mishandling of time, energy, and priorities. Mm -hmm. Your time is unfocused. Your energy goes unleveraged. And we can unpack that if you want to. Mm -hmm. You just know whether you have it or you don't. And mostly you don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then priorities continually get hijacked by other people. So other people are telling you what to do. You're not realizing your own priorities. So if you want to live in the stress spiral, never focus your time, never leverage your energy and let everybody else hijack your priorities. And that is the default condition for human beings Hmm. in the 21st century. It is. It really Mm -hmm. is. And you combat that with something called the Thrive Cycle, which how appropriate. We're at the Thrive Conference. (laughs) (laughs) But what is the Thrive Cycle then? And how Like, how is that different? So the Thrive Cycle takes the three assets that we just talked about, time, energy, and priorities, and treats them differently. Mm -hmm. So you start focusing your time, leveraging your energy, and realizing your priorities. Mm -hmm. And that means basically what happens is you go from reactive. Most people live reactive lives. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do today? 
I don't know. I have my list, but let's see what's in my inbox. Oh, 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 let's check social. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Knock on the door. Hey, can you, yeah. you know, and by the time you get to eight o'clock at night, the whole day went on. You know, even if you had nothing on the calendar, mm-hmm. your day blew up. It went up in flames. You got nothing done. And now you're twice as busy tomorrow. <laughs> and then you start with tomorrow's priorities. Mm-hmm. So that is reactive living. And that's what leads to the stress spiral. Proactively, you're like, no, I'm going to decide what I do with my time ahead of time. I'm going to understand my energy patterns and I'm going to realize my priorities. And we can unpack those however you want. No. Yeah. I mean, how do you realize your priorities? You know, what does that process look like? Because like you said, we're in a society where the society kind of tells it, tries to tell us what our priorities are oh, in yeah. a lot of ways. So what does it look like to practically sit down and say, this is actually the priorities of my life? So you focus your time by leveraging your energy. So let's play a little game. Are you a morning person, night owl? I'm neither. <laughs> neither. All right. None of the above. I'm I tired like all the time. I'm mid-morning. I'm a two-year-old almost. And okay. I'm just always tired. But I feel like morning more than night. Okay. But let's say, what, what are you at your peak? 930. 930 a.m. Yeah. That's when I can like sit and get work done. Okay. And when does that start to wane a little bit? Hmm. I get hungry. So lunchish? <laughs> yeah. I would say maybe even more like one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, one o'clock. So you got three and a half, four hours a day Mm -hmm. where you feel great. Mm -hmm. You know what? That's almost all of us. Mm -hmm. In my 30s, I thought I was a robot. I thought I could be on from 6 a.m. till midnight. And it's just not true. And if most people listening, you might be a little bit like McKelty. My peak hours are 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's when I'm at my best. I'm a morning person. Mm Mm-hmm. Other people are night owls. They really come alive at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Me, I start like, oh, how soon can I go to bed without being socially embarrassing? That's what happens to me at 8 o'clock. I'm like, yeah. I just want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. My wife's like, I'm married to a 93-year-old man who wants to go to bed at 9 o'clock. I'm like, yes, I do, because I like mornings. Mm. So anyway, um, yeah, so you have, and, and the principle there is your energy waxes and wanes over the course of a day. Mm. Right. And most of us, I wanted to call the book three hour workday, the three hour workday. But that title was sort of a ripoff of another (laughs) book that sold millions of copies. But really, most of us have about three to five peak hours in a day. Now, conversely, Mm -hmm. I call that your green zone. Okay, Mm -hmm. so your green zone is when you're at your best. Most of us have a couple hours in the day where we are zombies. We are Mm -hmm. so tired. It's like, give me some caffeine. Put some toothpicks in my eyelids. I need to stay awake. When, when is that for you? That's my three to five. Three to five. Yeah. Okay, I'm four to six. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's funny. It's about a two-hour window. A lot of people- That's so right, interesting. Right after lunch. Mm, yeah. Right after lunch. Two to four, one to three. They're like, Ugh. And it's not because they had the big pasta lunch either. They just, those are your body rhythms. That's what happens. That's your, that's your chronotype. And that's just being human. And everybody, top executives, top athletes, they all have that. So I call that your red zone. Mm. And when you're doing your red zone, like I create content for a living. I come up with ideas like the ones that we're discussing. Mm -hmm. I prepare for keynotes like I'm giving this afternoon. I write blog posts. That's what I do. Writing at 8 a.m. is so different than writing at 8 Mm p.m. Because at 8 p.m., I'm lucky to get five sentences. At 8 a.m., I can produce 500 words. Mm -hmm. No problem. It's just the way we are. But often what happens is we let other people hijack our priorities. We get to our red zone, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock for me. And then it's like, oh, I haven't tackled that chapter in the book. Mm -hmm. Now I got to look at it. Meanwhile, you can barely type, Mm -hmm. typos all over the place. Your ideas are terrible. And so here's what you do. 
you figure out when your green zone is. Oh, by the way, everything that isn't green or red is yellow. <laughs> you're not at your best. You're not at your worst. You can get a lot done in your yellow zone. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got a podcast that's done really well. I do the prep in my green zone and the interviews in my yellow zone. Because hmm. I can hmm. still I can still interview in my yellow zone. Mm-hmm. Better that I don't do it in my red zone. But yellow is fine. Yellow's good. It's mm-hmm. just not great. It's mm-hmm. not your best. Not best. So then what you do is you do your most important work or what you're best at when you're at your best. So I'll give you a really concrete example. When I was a pastor, I used to do a ton of breakfast meetings. Any business person will meet you at 7 a.m. They just will. Hmm. But you know how breakfast meetings go. This is my green zone. I didn't really realize it at the time. But... You meet at the restaurant at 7 a.m., supposed to be done by 8, goes till 8.30. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, better get some coffee. So you go get some coffee, and then you stroll into the office shortly after 9. You catch up with people. It's 9.30. Somebody knocks on your door. You end up going into a meeting you weren't planning on. Then you answer your email. You got 17 unread messages. Next thing you know, it's lunch. You're getting hungry. Mm-hmm. What have you got done? Nothing. Mm. Nothing. And so for me, I had to write a message every week or almost every week. That meant the message started Thursday night and bled into Friday and sometimes Saturday mornings. And that's a disaster. Mm -hmm. So what I did was Mm -hmm. I canceled all my breakfast meetings and I'm like, I might do them once a month or so, Mm -hmm. but that's my green zone, man. I'm burning rocket fuel if I'm wasting that time. Mm -hmm. And I sit down on Monday mornings and I start working on my message. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It's done by Tuesday. And if there's a preacher or communicator listening and your message is done by lunch on Tuesday, if the rest of the week feels like a vacation, <laughs> if, if your message isn't done Friday afternoon, your weekend feels like purgatory. Mm. That's what it feels like. It's awful. So, you know, you get your work done. Then I started working a week ahead. Then I started working a month ahead. Mm. And, you know, for the last few years when I was a pastor, my sermon series was done before I delivered the first message. Mm. There's so much freedom in that. And then you start working on the second one, Mm -hmm. you know, the one that's coming up next. And that's what I try to do is you just work ahead and then you got your priorities realized. Mm -hmm. And so if you've written for three hours or you've done strategic planning for three hours or you played with your kids, if you're a stay-at-home mom, for two hours in the morning and you were really attentive to them Mm -hmm. and you read them stories or whatever, you know, whatever is meaningful for you. Then by one o'clock, if someone pulls you into a meeting, it's like, okay, and your inbox can wait until three Mm o'clock or your inbox can wait until four o'clock. You just clear it out and then you go home. And what do you do when you get home? You're present Mm -hmm. because you got your work done. Mm -hmm. And uh, it works. We we just actually, you know, the book came out a year ago, but four months ago, we started experimenting with a four-day work week. So we discovered that we could do five days of work in four days. It's amazing how inefficient we are behind a laptop, right? Yeah. If you yeah. cut out the busy work, you focus your green zone. Um, and I said, listen, I'm not asking you to do 40 hours in four days where you're on the clock from 7 a.m. to 5 mm-hmm. p.m. Because I don't clock people anyway. I said, we just need the same outputs. We can change the inputs. Mm-hmm. So as long as the podcast gets done, mm-hmm. as long as our, our work is great and the company is growing, let's do it in four days. Do you know how efficient people got? Mm, mm -hmm. Do you know how much easier it is to say no when you contract time? Like yesterday, you know, we still say no, nine out of 10 speaking engagements that come our way. Mm -hmm. There was one I was on the fence about. I had the time on the calendar to do it, but it wasn't really leaders. It wasn't really leadership development. I mean, the pay was great. We just said no. 
to because your focus. It was a weekend, yeah. and I'm like, I like my weekends at home. Mm-hmm. I like it with my wife. I like it with friends. I'm just going to say no. Mm-hmm. Like, you can start to get really focused. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds just like a really reflective process. I love self-reflection. I am always just a huge advocate for mm. understanding yourself better because if you don't understand yourself, how do you live your best life? You know, totally. and all of that. And to be able to say, okay, when am I at my best? When am I at my, you know, not your worst, but your most tired in your day oh, but it and is, figuring that out. The red zone's terrible, McKelty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I used to have meetings at four o'clock in the afternoon yeah. and I'd make bad decisions. And then the next day, I'd say to my assistant, Sarah, I'm like, hey, Sarah, who made that decision? She's like, you did? I'm like, when? <laughs> Yesterday at 4.30? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's why. <laughs> I don't I do not do well. Like, I have three brain cells left. And what I've learned is I just got to turn it off. Yeah. And then today, I'm going from, you know, now, noon, until maybe 6 or 7 tonight. And then I'm driving back to the Minneapolis airport. Mm-hmm. Guess what I did? I went to bed early last night. I fueled up. I ate properly. I did a workout this morning. I'm like ready because yeah. I know I'm going to have to work through my red zone. Well, mm-hmm. I can do that mm-hmm. once a week, you know, a couple times a month. I, I could do it every week if I need to. It's not that hard. But if you do that every single day, you get worn down. It's like your phone never recharging to 100%. Mm-hmm. You're always running on 60% battery power or 40% battery power. I want to make sure that I'm waking up with 90 to 100% battery power every day. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I hear a lot, and I'm sure everyone has, of, oh, I don't have time. You know, oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't have time for all of this. And you mentioned something called the time famine. And I just would love to hear more about that. And yeah. your thoughts when people say, oh, I just don't have time. Well, I said that to myself all through my 30s. People say, Carrie, you should write a book. I'm like, I don't have time to write a book. Or I don't have time to visit that person. I don't have time. Mm-hmm. And then after I burned out, I read this, this stupid little book. I can't find it. Maybe it's an imaginary book and this all happened in my head. I don't know. But it was like, zone one day. Yeah, yeah, I was in my red zone one day. I don't know what happened. But um, I think it was written for grade school children on the life of the president of the United States. And it, I don't know why I was reading that book. It was so stupid. Maybe my kids <laughs> left it around. And I thought, you know, the president of the United States has 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. You got to manage the free world mm-hmm. and avoid nuclear catastrophe in 24 hours a day. When you become the president, nobody says, here's an extra hour. Yeah. Like you have to figure it out. And then I thought the, the leaders I admire the most have the same amount of time as me. Max Lucado, who's written 192 books. No, not quite, but close. I think it's, it's pushing like 100. It. Yeah, like Max, Max has the same amount of time every day mm-hmm. that I do. Mm-hmm. So I, I did this little hack. Because I had time famine. I'm like, I don't have enough time. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And I just made myself saying, stop saying you don't have the time. I do. I have 24 hours in the day, same as any other leader. The only exception is the day you're born, the day you die. Mm. Right? Mm. You get a little less those days. Well, I may not die today, so I get 24 hours in a day. That's it. That's all I got. So now I, I have to, I tell myself, stop saying you don't have the time. Because if you do a speech audit, it's amazing, you know, hey, McKelty, is that report ready? Oh, sorry, I didn't have time to do it. Mm. (laughs) If you start catching yourself and go, no, I did. What if you told your boss, I do have the time to do it? Mm. I didn't get it done. I just didn't do it. Ooh. It's very different. (laughs) That sizzles. It's very different. Right? Your mom's like, we have to get together. We have to get together. And if every week you're telling your mom, I don't have time for that, after a month, it's like, wait. You had all these hours, you made not an hour for your mom, Mm -hmm. not even for a phone call, for FaceTime, really? Mm -hmm. 
what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And so I got really honest and I, I started saying, instead of saying, I don't have the time for that, I started saying to myself, I didn't make the time for that. Mm-hmm. I didn't make the time for writing a book. I didn't make the time for seeing my parents. I didn't make the time for date night. I didn't make the time to be present for my kids. Mm-hmm. And even this morning, you know, I've been trying to connect with my oldest son. He's on a cross-country trip. And I called him yesterday, called him the day before. He, they, kids never call you at a convenient time. <laughs> I'm sitting down to work on a big post that I'm working on for October yeah. on my website. Who calls? It's my son. Well, I'm going to make the time for that phone call mm-hmm. and something else can move. So, you know, start, stop saying you don't have the time and start admitting you didn't make it. Since I made that switch, I spent 40 years, produced zero books in the last 15 years. No, 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 no not even that much. Last 13 years, I've written five. Hmm. Published five. Actually, wow. wrote six or seven, yeah. published five of them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you can do it. You can do it. You have the time. You have no more time than anyone else. So that gets out of time famine, mm-hmm. and that causes you to ruthlessly assess your priorities. You're going to write a book or not? You're going to start a podcast or not? Mm-hmm. Are you going to spend time with your kids or not? It's such a good perspective shift. I think we all need that because sometimes I feel that way when I'm looking at people that are just thriving in whatever their career and their ministry. I'm like, oh, I don't know how they get so much done. But you're right. They have the same amount in the day that yeah. I do. Nobody gave them extra time. Now, I, I want to put a little star beside this, an asterisk, because a lot of listeners to this podcast probably have children at home. <laughs> and I think you have to adjust your expectations accordingly. Mm-hmm. I didn't write books when my kids were really little. That's okay. I think I published my first book at 44, maybe. Yeah, 44. 2000, no, 45, 2010. Isn't that mm-hmm. crazy? Mm-hmm. I was 45 before I wrote my first book. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. The world will wait. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you got, you got to figure out what is really important to you. And maybe bring, the, on the other hand, people who have used the At Your Best system, I get, I got to... <laughs> I'll never forget this. This is a real story because you can't make this up. Mom of a newborn who just uh, created her own app and coded it. I'm like, I don't know how you got that done. That's amazing. Good for you. And that's not prescriptive, but it's descriptive, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can do that if you want to. Yeah. And I think that brings up a really good point. I'm a big believer in seasons. Like you have so Mm. many different seasons in your life. And um, me, I have almost two-year-old and another one doing four weeks now. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. And I was sitting with Pastor Peter Haas. Yeah, yeah. I know Peter. And he, we were just talking about it and he had just such a great word of, you know, McKelty, because I was feeling that of, oh, I have all these things I really wanted to do right now and just in my career and all this and just feeling like I'm not going to have time because I'm also a stay-at-home mom. And he said, there you're just going to have to take your two-year plan and make it your five-year plan. Because sure. right now, your season is being with these kids and prote- like prioritizing them. And that was such a good perspective mm-hmm. shift of, you're right, this is the season that I'm in. And life is long. Yeah. Like, this is the thing that amazes me. You know, I was in law school when I got married, and then right after law school, I had our first son, then our second son as I was starting ministry at the little churches. And I just, I'm not good at math. I just thought, oh, you know, the kids will be home till I'm 80. Then I'll eventually die. (laughs) Well, I became an empty nester when I was in my 40s. Mm And, you know, the last 10, 7, 8 years have been empty nest years. That's when it feels like someone handed you an eighth day. Mm. Like when you get to really control your own life. And I feel great. Like I feel probably more mentally sharp than when I was 30. Mm. And I'm probably more physically fit than when 20 years ago. So life isn't over. 
in many ways, it's just begun. And you got to look at it in, in even seasons. Like, okay, what does the next five years look like? A lot of moms, I know it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive, discover that when their kids go to school, it feels like a whole other season of life where you get six oh, hours yeah. of your life back, theoretically, if they you school them outside of the house. And, you know, then they get into high school and suddenly they don't want to hang out with you and then somebody gets a driver's license and it's like we don't even drive them around anymore mm. and then they go to college and break your heart right <laughs> so that's what happens oh sorry <laughs> so this exciting. podcast just went south <laughs> this went south no but it's great you know what adult children are a lot of fun yeah we have good seasons mm-hmm. it's a completely different seasons and you know i think there is just something to say too of you know just where you're at and your career too and talk about you know CEOs, they have more flexible schedules. You know, they mm. have the ability to, if they want to come in late a little bit. You know, my husband's self-employed, so sometimes I'm like, are you going to work today? Yeah, I had 10. I'm like, all right. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah. if you go to work. <laughs> you know, things like that. Versus someone who clocks in. They're 9 to 5. So, I don't know. Just what are your thoughts about that? And, like, how can we shift our perspective of still realizing that we can create our schedule, even if we're in those time barriers, per se? I've heard from so many leaders who are in exact, exactly that position. It's it's like, nice for you, man. You run your own company or you were lead pastor of a church. You get to do what you want, which is 100% true. You have more time freedom if you're running your own thing. However, let's break that down mathematically. So I pulled probably at this point well over 1,000 leaders on this question. And, you know, I don't think because you kind of work for yourself, right? So it's different. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to be on the clock. No. But... Um, For listeners who have to be on the clock, ask yourself this question. How many command performance meetings do you have a week? Like, okay, I have to be at staff meeting Monday at 9. Then I have to be at leadership team meeting Tuesday at 1. Then we have creative team meeting Wednesday, and we have direct reports on Thursday or whatever. And the answer I consistently get is 5 to 12 hours a week. Hmm. And usually it's close to 5 hours a week. Mm -hmm. But let's say for argument's sake that it's uh, 20 hours a week. So you have 168 hours in a week, 20 of those are command performance hours. Mm -hmm. That leaves you with 148 hours Mm. to do with whatever you want. And you're like, well, I got soccer and I got this and I got that. It's like, wait, the government didn't make you put your kids in soccer. (laughs) Like that's a choice, okay? Nobody forced you to put your kids Mm -hmm. in soccer. Nobody forced you to sign up to do this, that, and the other thing. Nobody made you binge watch Netflix for six (laughs) hours. You know, that was your fault. Like you chose, those were your choices, right? I feel called out. (laughs) (laughs) But often we think we have no control. Look, Mm -hmm. if it's the worst case, if you're a factory worker, 40 hours at the assembly line, Okay, that gives you 128 hours a week where you get Mm -hmm. to decide how am I going to sleep? When am I going to work out? What am I going to do? Who am I going to see? Like we have ridiculous control in our lives. And I think it's Henry Cloud who says in one of his books that leaders realize that they have ridiculous control of their lives. I can write a book a year if I want to. I'm not choosing to, but I can. Mm -hmm. I could podcast every day if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I'm not choosing to, but I could. You don't have any excuses. Because yeah. you can make excuses. 
excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things people often make the most excuses on is taking care of themselves. And, you know, that's where burnout comes in. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think people sometimes are mis- very misled about self-care and they think it's like my self-care is going to eat this bag of chocolate or I'm going <laughs> to go for a round of golf or take a bubble bath, you know, something along those lines. But it's deeper. We know that's not true. So what? how do you describe really taking care of yourself and not just the fluff of it all, but truly taking care of yourself? So it starts with the three basics, sleep, diet, exercise. And I tried to get out of those for decades. Like, oh, I don't have to exercise. You know, I'm not that overweight. I don't have to sleep. I'm robotic. And I'm not robotic. I ended up dead in the water at 40, burned out. Like, you know, if you don't declare a finish line, your body will. So I realized, okay, my body declared a finish line. I'm, I'm human. And I do a lot better. Since the pandemic, one of the gifts of COVID, it, it's not been a great season. But I started experimenting with no alarm in the morning for a while. Mm. Pardon me, because I used to pride myself on getting up at 4.30 or 5. And then I realized I was pretty tired by the end of the day. <laughs> so I thought, when does my body wake me up? It's more like 5.30 or 6. Mm. And then I started experimenting. Well, instead of getting seven hours, what about eight or nine? And sometimes, particularly in the summer, I'll get eight or nine or sometimes 10 hours sleep. I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. So much mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. And ironically, you're like, well, your, your productivity has probably dropped. No, it spiked. I mean, you study, I have the privilege of interviewing some coaches and owners of NBA franchises. You look at LeBron James, I talked to his boss, will spend over a million dollars a year on what he calls prehab. Hmm. Not rehab. Rehab is, I went too hard, now Mm -hmm. I can't walk, Mm -hmm. right? Prehab is sleep, diet, exercise. He'll sleep 12 hours before a game. So I went to a Lakers game last year. I mean, that guy is a beast. And when he's on the court, he explodes, Mm. like just explodes. Like TV doesn't capture it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, that's because I'm rested. That's because I ate the right stuff. Mm. And that's because I've got the right workout regime. Like that doesn't happen. So he does prehab. So you got to do some prehab. So it sort of starts with that. And what was the question again? I got all tangentialized. (laughs) I was like, this is great. Yeah. No, yeah. You're speaking right to it. What do you do to really avoid that burnout and go deeper? Oh, yeah. So so it starts with those three. And then I always think about the line between self-care self-medication and self-indulgence. So those are three things. So self-medication often happens. So a bag of chips. I love chips too. I love ice cream. Mm. On my current diet, I got to have ice cream almost every day and I lost 15 pounds. You can email (laughs) me at, no, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have an awesome trainer. Mm. It's not Mm -hmm. like a bucket of ice cream, but it's a little bit of ice cream. And I love ice cream, particularly in the summer. I get the taste. (laughs) And uh, anyway, yeah, that's my next book. It'll it'll come to New York Times best seller, I'm sure. So <laughs> anyway, ice cream every day, yeah, ice cream every day lose 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I mean, um, so sleep, diet, exercise, but self-indulgence is sometimes you're emotional eating. So mm-hmm. I'm a pastor. If you think of self-medication, you know, a lot of pastors wouldn't touch drugs or alcohol for medication purposes. And I don't think you should, but that's what people do. They come home, they're stressed out. They have a couple of beers, a shot, some wine, a bottle of wine, they get high Mm -hmm. and then they do it again the next day. Well, for me, I wasn't going to play that game, but you know what? I think a lot of us in the Christian sphere, we don't, we don't do drugs. We do food. And so we medicate our feelings by what we eat. I do that naturally. And I've had to really watch. My wife's like, you're an emotional eater. I'm like, yep. If I'm mm-hmm. upset, I hit mm-hmm. the pantry or the fridge. And um, the other thing we do is we do work. Workaholic mm-hmm. 
uh, workaholism is the most rewarded addiction in America. Mm. If you drink too much at work, you get fired. If you work too much, you get a promotion and a raise. Mm. That's a good point. And so we just work more. And I was a workaholic and I medicated with food. So that's self-medication. Like, what are you doing to numb the pain mm. and to deny the reality? So mm. you got to, whatever, could be over-exercising. Like, these are good things gone bad. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, spend three hours a day on the treadmill. Well, that's not healthy. You need 20 to 40 minutes, you know, and I, I cycle now and I have some good exercise rhythms, but they're not crazy. Mm-hmm. I did a workout today. It was 35 minutes. That's enough for today. I got a trainer. Mm-hmm. I don't need to work out for six hours. I'm not trying to get into pro sports. I'm not yeah. LeBron. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's self-care. You got to watch self-medication, but the other is self-indulgence and self-indulgence is almost like resting when you're not tired. Like definitely take a Sabbath, but self-indulgence can be, I always have to go to the spa. I always have to have the best. I always have to have five-star this. It's like, well, then you're just being selfish. Mm. So I enjoy nice things as well, but you got to draw a line and say, is this for the purpose of coming back to serve and for some greater Mm. purpose, Mm. or am I just being selfish? So you really want to look after self-care. Now, what that means for me, so I try to get enough sleep, try to exercise, proper diet, but I also have hobbies now. I didn't have hobbies when I burned out. So I love barbecue. I love to eat. So that's like I have a big green egg. I mm-hmm. cycle. I bought myself a road bike. I enjoy cycling. That's a lot of fun. My wife and I picked up downhill skiing again, like alpine skiing mm-hmm. this past winter. So that's a lot of fun. We enjoy that. We enjoy travel, hiking, mm-hmm. etc. So, you know, what are the life-giving activities that don't involve a laptop that nobody pays you for mm-hmm. that you really enjoy? We love being on the water. We have a canoe. We have a power boat. We have um, paddle boards. My wife's more of a paddle boarder than me. I go out <laughs> once a year. just. But she loves that stuff. I love being on the lake, man. It's mm. amazing. It's like a two-hour. Here's a good question. What do you have in your life that is a two-hour vacation? Mm. I've been thinking about that this summer. Because mm. if I get out on the boat, it's about 20 minutes to get to the marina. Then we're out on the water 10 minutes later. Mm-hmm. And we're just out for two hours in the afternoon. I might as well be in the Bahamas or Europe or something. Like, my brain disengages. Mm-hmm. It's like a two-hour vacation. We put a hot tub in last year. You know, couldn't travel anywhere, so we got a hot tub. And, <laughs> bring it uh, to you. Yeah. Bring it to me. <laughs> we love that thing way more than we should. Mm. And that's like a little mini vacation. So do you have those little things that just kind of cool your jets, relax you, get you in sort of refreshed space again so that you can go out and serve so that you can go out and do what you're called to do. Well, that is fantastic. Just such good practical tools for people to take away. And this is such an important topic. Like it really, like, you you know, it's just like we talked about, everybody is going to be affected by this. Mm -hmm. Everyone is affected. It's just the world that we live in, the society that we live in, you know, being constantly available 24 seven, having your phone right there. So I just really hope that everyone listening today has at least one takeaway. Can I give one more takeaway? Absolutely. Please do. Feel free. I get in trouble when I say this with certain people, but I'm going to say it anyway. Feel free to ignore certain inboxes. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault no, yeah. that, that I never look at Facebook Messenger. I could have 300 unread emails or messages in Facebook Messenger. I never look. Uh, LinkedIn, I don't know. I got thousands of followers on LinkedIn. I never check LinkedIn's inbox. Mm-hmm. I figure if it's really important, somebody's going to figure out how to get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. And so just give yourself permission not to answer every message mm-hmm. that comes your way. Mm-hmm. It's okay. That's good. And sometimes I think we need 
to have someone give us permission to do that. Mm-hmm. It might seem really silly to be like, but this person gave me permission. But you need that. But your your friends so will find stress. you. Your friends, yeah. your your yeah. three friends know how to find you, <laughs> right? Your twenty friends, your best friends yeah. know how to find you. Your friends know how to find you. That circle of a hundred, hundred and fifty, they know how to find you. Yeah, that's okay. Yes, the rest of the world does not need unrestricted access to your life. They yeah. just don't. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And how can people get this book? How can they get a copy of it? It's it's available anywhere you get your books. So it's called At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. Mm-hmm. And then you can find me at kerryneuhoff.com. So easy to spell. No, it's not. Uh, but if you just butcher it, Google will get you there. I Carrie Newhoff. would 100% admit yeah. that I every time I have to go to Google to make sure I spelt it correctly. C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. Or just try K-Q-R-Z. You'll still find me. Do you mean? Yeah. Like, thank you, Google. Carrie you Newhouse. have my back. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm so excited to hear more in just a couple of hours, I think, um, of all of your tips and strategies. So it's thank you. a lot you. of fun, McKelty. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bridge in the Gap podcast. We were honored to hear from Carrie Newhoff on the topic of using your time to thrive. Learn more about Carrie and check out the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast at carrienewhoff.com or by following Carrie Newhoff on social media. You can also learn more about Bridge in the Gap at mnbtg.org by downloading the Bridge in the Gap app through your app store or by following mnbtg on social media. We also invite you to rate and review this podcast so others can find this resource as well. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time on the Bridging the Gap podcast.